Hey friends, just a quick heads up before we get into this week's episode that I do mention sexual assault, stalking, domestic violence, narcissistic abuse, and some other traumatic stuff. So please just take care as you listen. If you listen, you of course can always skip this episode, come back to it, skip it all together, and take your time listening. Just take care, do what you need to do to feel supported as you go. Thanks so much. Welcome back to It's Not You, It's the System, a podcast for getting self-blame, messy family stuff, and internalized oppression out of the way so you can make the impact you're here for. I'm Lauren, and I'm an anti-capitalist, trauma-certified coach and writer for Community Change Agents. So today, I'm actually recording this pretty late in the evening on November 10th. And this is a very strange time of year for me. I have had some pretty intense life events around this time of year, particularly on November 10th <laughs> in multiple years of my life. So the the biggest story came to mind as one to tell, not just because of the day I'm recording this, but um, I kind of felt like I got a signal from spirit, the universe, higher consciousness, whatever you want to call it, this morning listening to Moonbeaming, which is Sarah Faith Godestiner's podcast. And she was talking about a basic concept, and I'm going to miss this quote, but it was something like, just because you can put up with something, just because you can endure bad behavior from other people, doesn't mean you have to or you should. And she was talking about something I didn't have this language for, but have coached people through and have certainly experienced myself where perhaps you're in a tough relationship or a shitty job or whatever it is, some kind of tough situation that is really pushing your buttons or might even be abusive, like whatever, there's, you know, of course, different levels of harm, but you're not doing so well (laughs) for whatever reason. And there is something that happens for those of us in particular who have past trauma, for those of us who maybe grew up in families with patterns of addiction and codependency, where we put it upon ourselves to do everything in our power to try to fix a situation. I forget the words that Sarah used on her podcast, but it's something like the healing fantasy or the, it, it basically the, this idea that like we cling to the possibility that things will work out and if you've ever you know learned about or read about narcissistic abuse recovery you might also understand in dynamics with an abusive partner an abusive boss particularly when there are narcissistic patterns it's a lot of push and pull dynamics and a lot of times there's very intense what's called love bombing at the beginning of that relationship or job or situation where there's this flood of good feeling chemicals, oxytocin, all those things because of how this person is treating you and like telling you how wonderful you are. And and then as the relationship deteriorates, because that's what happens if someone has narcissistic personality traits or is just, you know, unwell and toxic for you, you're always going to be holding on to those good times because you want to get back to them if that makes sense. Like the brain remembers, oh my God, I had that flood of all these good feeling chemicals. Like how do I make that happen again? And this came up today because on November 10th, 2018, I was, let's see, 
five months sober, four months sober. I had been in a relationship at that point for nearly four years with my ex. And we had met in 2014 when I was not in the best place. Interestingly, I was in a very abusive work situation at the time, working on a local campaign, although it was a very big campaign in the context of where I was. It was for a mayoral race in the largest city in the state, a capital city. So there was a lot of influence in that job and in that campaign. And I had two very toxic bosses. But in the midst of all of that mess with my work life and also feeling so like low about myself, feeling very like fish out of water because I was working in politics again after the Hill, but I had taken like a year in between those two gigs to work retail and teach yoga and just kind of settle my nervous system. Um, I met this ex of mine and I had, I probably experienced love bombing from other people before, but this felt different. Um, It could have been the place in my life that I was. It could have just been aspects of his personality that I was, you know, seeing as (laughs) unconscious, you know, but a total mirror to my own wounds. But he was just really fun, really charming, seemed very kind. Um, He was a good time. He knew how to party. And at that time, I wanted to party. And he, I think, was very, um, he's and I think he's probably still this way. He's very much about status and power and likes to think of himself as this like black sheep. He comes from a wealthier family, but he's like, I'm not going to go to law school. I'm going to work in tech and I'm going to do like, he just kind of has this idea that he's countercultural, even though he's one of the biggest bros (laughs) at the end of the day that I've ever met. And so this person was just yeah, charmed the shit out of me. I don't think we were sober around each other for the first month or so, but very quickly we were like inseparable. And I really thought I was in love. I think I was. And he was reciprocating everything. There was a lot of what's called, I've learned, future faking, where they talk about like, I've never felt this way with anybody before. I feel like I've known you forever. I see us getting married. And it and it wasn't in a creepy way. It didn't seem too intense at the time. And it felt like our values were very aligned. I now know that people with his type of personality, and I'm going to keep using narcissists because it's not a medical diagnosis. It is a description of someone's character traits and how they behave. And he checks a lot of those boxes. (laughs) I've learned that they know how to learn what they need to know about you in order to say the things that are going to get you in. And again, I don't know if it's 100% conscious on his part, but yeah, I... I was like, oh my God, I'm all in this messy work situation. I'm going to figure it out because I want to make my relationship work. Actually, aside from everything being terrible on the campaign, a big reason I quit after the primary election, besides protecting my mental health because I was starting to want to hurt myself, was like, I can't maintain this relationship that's really important to me. And with this person, I think I'm going to marry sometime soon if I keep working this job. I mean, I took it very seriously. And the first, I would say three, four, maybe five months were very easy. And then as my mental health deteriorated while working on the campaign that spring, we started having tension at times. It was a lot of up and down. And he's one of those people who, when 
he's either drinking or backed into a corner or knows he's fucked up and like can't get out of it just gets mean in a way that like (laughs) he would totally deny later so I remember kind of clocking that and being like okay that's weird but I mean he had a bad night it's late you know he's drinking blah 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 And I made a lot of excuses for a long time about those kinds of situations. And throughout the course of our relationship, he lost a couple different jobs. Actually, hold on, one, two. He he lost jobs three times. I was always told they were layoffs or they were cutting staff or whatever. Now that I know what I know because of how our relationship ended, my guess is that maybe there was some other bad behavior at work. Who knows? As we spent more time together and eventually moved in together, it became clear that this is a person who, while he was prescribed stimulants, would also take them recreationally and share them with friends. And I remember that being kind of a line in my mind, even though I was a huge pothead, I never had crossed into like taking prescription drugs that weren't mine. And uh, he started just being very flaky about plans and not calling when he said he was going to call, even when we lived together. There was a lot of conflict when I'd be like, so what time are you going to be home? Just basic questions you ask a person when you live with them. Nothing out of a place of control or whatever. And he would get so angry when I would ask those questions. And because of the therapy I was doing and I knew I'm like, well, I have PTSD and maybe I'm overreacting to stuff. I kind of just gaslit myself in a way over time into thinking that, I was the problem, not the system of the relationship that I was in. And I'm not saying that, you know, I definitely had times where I was triggered or I had very heightened emotions. And what I now know is it was in response to a very unhealthy situation. It was oftentimes my intuition screaming at me that something was wrong, but I have this person in front of me completely denying that I'm seeing what I'm seeing. And this connects to the story I told last week about a friendship I ended, but this was four years of that with a person I was deeply in love with, thought, you know, because of what we would talk about that I was going to marry, we had all these future plans. So things were rough. There was also this ex-girlfriend who was in and out of the picture, and I would inadvertently find out they were still in communication when he said they weren't. There was just a lot of boundary violation, a lot of like very just obvious examples of gaslighting that made me feel like I was either not seeing reality for what it was or that he was genuinely forgetful or I misheard. Anyway, it was exhausting. And so I got a full-time job after the campaign that only lasted about nine months before because of dynamics with people on the campaign and the person who eventually got elected mayor kind of being in the picture. A lot of things went downhill for me at this other job that was very embedded in local politics as well. That was the job I got fired from. Getting fired was a shock. It happened the fucking day before my birthday. (laughs) It sucked. And so this is 2016. Obviously, the election that year was really intense. I was still self-medicating all the time with weed. I start experimenting with like stimulants and cocaine and other things that had, again, always been this boundary for me, but because they were normalized, by this partner and by a lot of the people we were hanging out with, I started dabbling, let's say. So things are getting darker. My mental health is getting worse. I no longer have health care because I get fired. And a few months go by. I had like, you know, contract work. I was doing okay, but I am gradually getting more financially dependent on this person because, yeah, finding full-time work was just not 
happening with the state of my mental health. So eventually he gets laid off from the third job since we'd been together. So I go, you know, we've talked about moving to New York. We both love it. Let's just fucking do it. So I encouraged him to apply for jobs there. He got one that he loved. And so he left and moved to New York two months before I was ready to move, in part because I was working on some projects locally that I didn't want to just let go ahead of the election. Those two months were, I don't know, tough, not great, but my mental health wasn't in much of a worse place than it had been. It's just that now I was alone a lot. I was living with friends and they had a baby I was helping to take care of, so I wasn't literally alone, but... It was dark. Then election night happens. We get in a fight over text, which was not unusual because he's not being <laughs> like kind at all, telling me, as he often did, to calm down, that I was overreacting, that, you know, one thing he used to like to say is that, you know, Lauren, you just like to fight with people. You just like to have conflict. You like to fight. And meanwhile, I had so much shame around times that I would lose my temper or that I would kind of snap which I now know were oftentimes PTSD responses or also ways I was keeping myself safe from people who were doing really shitty things. But the shame of that would just compound on itself every time he said that. And part of me really believed him. I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm just this like asshole, abusive person. So um, yeah, election night happens. I believe that was November 8th. His... um, birthday was the 10th and I was not supposed to move there until I think the 11th or 12th but I wanted to surprise him on the 10th so yeah two days after the election I get on a plane at like 4 30 in the morning I have two suitcases I got as stoned as I could before I left I am over the next 48 hours you know moving into this apartment with some you know bros from Staten Island who we were subletting with um it was not great. I spent a lot of time in the one little bedroom we had when I wasn't working the retail job that I got or the organizing job that I had as well. So I was doing some comms work. I promptly got a third gig doing some like online community management for someone with an online coaching business. I was just really busy right away. Meanwhile, the fallout after the election, New York was such a weird place to be. It everyone for the first few days were being very gentle with each other and there was this deep sense of community that I was drawn to but also there was so much fear in the air people were so fired up and I felt so much pulled to do that and yet I was putting so much energy into this relationship and trying to be what I thought would make me a good partner and doing so I mean I spent so many years of my life desperately trying to self-improve in order to change the shape of this relationship I was in. And while I do think there's a lot of wisdom in this idea that if one person in a relationship or a family system gets healthier, sometimes that can prompt the rest of the system to get healthier. And if we're talking about a relationship where there isn't full transparency about what there should be, where trust has been broken, even if I didn't know it yet, where there are other red flags like unaddressed substance use disorder, which I definitely had and I think he has, other wounds that hadn't healed around broken trust with his ex-girlfriend and I now looking back I think probably some other women in the picture too it it was just not there was no amount of work I could have done on myself to make that situation better and I really what had absorbed these ideas in the culture that 
commitment is hard and that's why it's called commitment and when you love somebody you do whatever you can to try to make it work and I can only control myself so I'm just going to focus on making me as healthy as I can meanwhile of course I'm smoking weed all the time and (laughs) working like way too much but you know still doing my best I really was doing the best that I had with the resources I had at the time And over the first few months in New York, we had always had ups and downs, like the push-pull highs and lows, but now there were just so many more lows where his going out, his drinking started escalating. It was something that I told myself earlier in the relationship and that he had also said, you know, as I get older, I don't think I'm going to want to party as much. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) I hope not. Because usually as folks get older, you know, any of that binge drinking that is so normalized in college and even into your early 20s tends to settle down. Um, For him, it did not. And it's also a city where everything is open all the time. And there's such a big work hard, play hard type of culture and I also think the the friends he was making in in his work and all of that there was just a lot of alcohol around all the time and what I found out gradually over time was that stimulants were in the picture on a regular basis so because I was so exhausted with work and just trying to keep my mental health shit together I mean I I would often have periods of suicidal ideation but I was kind of taking those as flags that like, oh, well, I just need to take better care of myself. It it didn't occur to me to really think about, okay, maybe this relationship is really unhealthy because I was operating under the assumption that this was a good person and I was taking things he said at face value. But over time, there started to be enough disconnects between what he would say and what I would see that it became unavoidable. For me to address certain things like there was one day he said he was going to the gym he was gone for a few hours he called me on the way home from allegedly the gym and said hey do you want me to pick you up a coffee and I was like yeah that'd be great he just made it sound like he went to the gym stopped by the coffee shop and came home he would also often shower at the quote-unquote gym I didn't think anything of it I thought that was normal and I remember a couple days after that day where he brought me coffee home from the way home from the gym, I found a receipt, because this is the other thing, he was kind of like sloppy. I found a receipt in his pocket for a restaurant. And it was like brunch, dine-in, and it had the date. And it said like two-top or two-seater table. Like it made it clear he was with somebody else. It's not like he sat down and had brunch by himself. And I had a moment of like, oh, I'm just being insecure. Maybe he just forgot to mention it. Maybe I mixed up. It was a lot of like, am I being suspicious or scared because... I am insecure and I think I'm not enough for this wonderful person. And instead of like, I think my intuition and just, you know, my rational, smart brain is like, no, something is off here. So I ended up calling the restaurant. I felt really ashamed about doing this Nancy Drew thing, but I called the restaurant and I was like, hey, um, I just wanted to confirm if the receipt says this, this, and this, does that mean the person did like dine in and not like carry out? And they were like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, on that day, this was the server. And yeah, they definitely worked that day. That was Sunday. And like, they just confirmed everything. So then when I confronted him about it, he wasn't home when I made this call. But when I confronted him about it in our tiny little studio apartment in the East Village where, you know, it was like you could touch the fridge from the bed. I mean, it was really small. We're in this like cramped space. And I just felt his energy like wanting to run away. And he just lied right to my face. And I remember again clocking it like... 
this isn't adding up. He never, he would have mentioned having brunch with this male coworker. It's weird that he didn't bring it up. There was another time where I found a receipt for two movie tickets on a random day where he hadn't mentioned it. And it, it's just like a weird thing not to mention. If you're out and about for the day and you say you're hanging out with a friend or that you're going to go have dinner with these, it, it, it's just a weird thing not to mention. Oh yeah, we saw the new whatever movie. I don't know. So that happened a couple times when we were still in the East Village for the first year or so. So then we move into this really nice one-bedroom apartment in this beautiful older building in the West Village. I was a lot happier because we had more space. I was in one of my periods of mostly not smoking at all. I had periods here and there of sobriety. What had also happened a couple months before this move was the Me Too movement exploded. So of course, I'm also managing that. This was also in the context of all of 2017, I'm trying to blow the whistle on this asshole campaign boss who sexually harassed me. I told the truth in my family, trying to keep little kids safe from my abuser and their abuser. I blew the whistle on a yoga teacher who sexually assaulted me. And I feel like, oh, and then I tried to file a police report about the guy in DC who had cyber stalked me, which turned out to be a very complicated bureaucratic process. So I'm simultaneously trying to find work because one of my contracts had ended. I had also quit my retail job. I was managing this relationship that felt really volatile and I couldn't really figure out why we had good days and why some days were so hard with him. I think that's also part of my brain that was like, okay, if I can convince myself that this is in my control, then I can deal with it. Then I feel like I can solve this problem. Then I feel like I can heal enough for both of us. And... um yeah, so things were rough because it's not normal for someone to be so vicious to you when they're drunk or upset at you and then for that to just not matter the next day. <laughs> for me, I was really holding on to those good days and just thinking, okay, if we can just get through this hard time, even though the whole fucking relationship was a hard time, if, if we can just get through this hard time or if I can just convince him that we need to go to therapy, it's going to get better. And he started, I mean, he had always worked late many times. That's what he was telling me. He was working late. He would go into the office on weekends quite often. He ended up getting promoted or changed jobs within his company that would take him, quote, out of town quite often. I have since learned that there were times where he said he was out of town and was not. Maybe it was a combination of sometimes it was true, sometimes it wasn't. And what I'm pretty sure was happening was all these times when he was quote, working or, quote, traveling for work. What I now have some proof of and, and kind of got him to admit on some level was that he was seeing his coworker, a woman who he's now married to. And I, I still am not clear on the extent of what she knew about our relationship. My guess is that he probably said a version of like, you know, Lauren's crazy and she's really damaged and I can't break up with her yet or we're broken up but I'm just letting her live at the apartment until she can get her shit together and move out. Somewhere in there that spring, early summer, we had traveled back to Indiana. There's this annual thing he would do with his friends. My stepdad had cancer at the time and it was very important to me to show up and be there during this couple days where he was having surgery and to help my mom where I could with the recovery. I'd also started smoking again, so I I just wasn't in the best place. And we had a knockdown drag out fight the night um, a few hours after 
or was it before? I can't remember, but it was around like, hey, my stepdad has cancer and is having surgery and you're acting like it's an inconvenience to go spend 45 minutes with him in recovery at the hospital. Like, hey, it's kind of shitty that you haven't even hugged me. You're just hanging out with your friends when you've arrived to the Airbnb. Hey, it's kind of shitty that I'm going through all of this intense stuff with my family and you're not there. He just wasn't there. And again, I was just telling myself like, oh, I'm just, I'm too needy. I need too much. I'm needing too much from this person. It was just not healthy the way I was thinking. And that night after the fight, so we we have an argument, it escalates. He was very drunk. This was probably like one in the morning. Then he goes back out. I stay at the Airbnb. I definitely wasn't looking for a fight. I was just trying to relax. We had just gotten home from a night out. You know, I had the stressful family stuff I'm going to have to go deal with when he and his friends go off to their thing the next day. So I'm like, just want to chill. And I go get in our bed in our Airbnb room. So then my ex comes home and gets into bed and we do what we usually did, which was like the sloppy sort of trying to make up. I'm just, I just want it to be better. And I think another common dynamic for people in this sort of narcissistically abusive or any type of emotional abuse going on in a relationship is you have these fights and then there's like, you have makeup sex. And so we did what we usually do, which is we're starting to connect emotionally. So now we're starting to connect physically. And by the way, the emotional connection was all based on me being like, you're right. I am a piece of shit. You're right. I am like, I am going to fix this. You're right. It is all me because that would calm my nervous system because it felt familiar from when I was a kid, from when I was younger, all the times I just thought, oh yeah, I am the problem. That was the message I've gotten. And so it just felt familiar, which in a fucked up way, felt safe. And that is the night where he continued to have sex with me after it was clear I was no longer consenting to it. First of all, an intoxicated person can't consent. Second of all, I used the word no multiple times. Was I screaming it? No, I wasn't. I think another thing folks forget is consent isn't just a lack of a no. It's also a yes where it's staying connected with that person and checking in and being in communication like, we're still good, right? Are you okay? It was like I was an object. It was like I wasn't even there. He could have been having sex with anyone or anything and it wouldn't have mattered if it was me. Even though I was high, I mean, I wasn't, you know, wasted. I I remember the moment when I'm like, oh, he just crossed that line of, I said no and he kept going. And it was very confusing for a long time because at this point, right, I had been whistleblowing on sexual abuse, sexual harassment, sexual assault. I was very well versed in this stuff. I was very passionate about helping other survivors. And yet I, up until that point, hadn't recognized what an emotionally abusive relationship I was in. And now I'm being sexually assaulted by this partner who, again, I was operating under the assumption was a inherently good person who would never do something like that even though he had all these bad moments and could be mean it never occurred to me that he would do that and I remember it was like I split in two in that moment there was the part of me that was like Lauren you know what just happened this isn't okay what the fuck this isn't okay and then the part of me that's like is that what happened you know the part of me that later would google like is it sexual assault if blah 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 or definitions of sexual assault. And of course, if you're going down that rabbit hole on the internet, (laughs) 
chances are something bad did happen to you it doesn't matter what the legal definition of something is it does like none of that matters if a boundary was crossed a boundary was crossed whether or not you can sue somebody for it or press charges for it depending on where you live so that was awful um and again because it wasn't this like violent rape i i could convince myself enough that it was I'm okay. We're okay. It was a bad night. It was a bad night. I'm okay. So I go back to New York separate from him. Over that next like month or so, because this was May into June, I got sober at the end of June, but for that month leading up to it, I was alone a lot in the apartment. He was quote unquote traveling or working late or whatever, quite a lot. And I don't remember the exact order of operations, but it was a combination of because I had had periods of quitting smoking and also periods of quitting both smoking and drinking and anything else I was doing, but mainly it was smoking weed. Because I'd already been doing that, I knew I had an issue. I knew it was a problem. I happened upon some YouTube video about a journalist who had gone through pretty severe alcoholism and trying to get sober and stay sober. And listening to her story there was enough familiarity in her story in the way that she talked about self-medicating her anxiety and what happened to her relationships and things like that that I was like oh maybe I'm a high functioning addict and in that same weekend of like oh fuck oh fuck I'm gonna have to deal with this I realized this relationship Things have to change or I have to end it. I can't deal with this anymore. I remember writing in my journal not much later than that, like, I think he I think he may have technically raped me. Like, I wrote technically raped instead of just being like, something fucked up happened. Like, I was still trying to define it. And this took me many years to finally come to terms with, yeah, I was sexually assaulted by this partner. So it's just a, a weekend of smoking a lot of weed. I remember watching the Pride Parade go in front of my window because where we lived in the village I could see everything from Christopher Street and just spending like 12 hours in this days of like oh fuck I think our relationship problems have crossed into a place where we have to get help or I have to figure something out and leave and number two I think I have to get sober he comes home from yet another weekend away and I sit down and I'm like listen I went to my first 12-step meetings while you were gone. And we need to talk about what happened when we were in Indianapolis that weekend. And he, I, I actually kind of believe him. He said he didn't know what I was talking about. I mean, he was very, very drunk before he left after the fight. But he came home even more just like out of his mind. I actually don't know how he was coherent enough for us to have the conversation that happened before <laughs> the sexual assault. I mean, he was... He was not all there, which does not excuse anything. Remember it or not, you you fucked up. It's not okay. So I went, hey, like some stuff happened that was, and I didn't even use the word sexual assault because I wasn't ready to say it to myself. I certainly wasn't ready to say it to him. I'm like, some stuff happened that night when you came home that was not consensual. And he immediately, there was no like, oh my God, are you serious? There was no like horror, which is how I would respond if someone told me that. If I like had a chunk of memory missing and I knew I had been drinking that night and I knew I had had sex with my partner and they tell me I had done something non-consensual, I would have been devastated and immediately like, how can I help? Like, what do I do? I'm so sorry. 
His immediate response, and again, this was me seeing the real him, was, oh, come on. You just want content for your feminist blog someday. And I I remember looking at him just like, what? Who are you? Who are you to behave this way? And so the next few months, um, eventually he flies me back to Indianapolis. We had made the deal, hey, if I commit to leaving the apartment for a month, I'll go home and stay with my people. You're going to start your own counseling and then we're starting couples therapy when I get back. And he agreed to that. So I'm in Indy operating under the assumption that he just needs a minute to reset. He needs to go start getting some help. And then when I get back, we'll really start working on stuff. Looking back, I would never ever do that again for somebody. But during that month, what I now know is he started seeing this coworker in earnest. I found out later she was telling people and was under the impression they were in a relationship. He and I were broken up. I'm pretty sure he spent maybe like one or two nights at the apartment while I was gone. Because when I got back, it, it was like that stale feeling of a space where like the dish I had left in a certain place was still there. The blanket was kind of how I left it. It was clear like he hadn't been there. And, and my guess is he didn't want this woman at our place because all of my stuff was still there and he'd have to explain that. I'm still, I'm barely sober when this happens. I'm like days sober, two weeks sober. When I go back to Indy, I'm trying to go to AA and phone meetings from Indianapolis. It was a nightmare, but I got through it. I get back. I'm actually pretty steady in my recovery. And an interesting thing happened, whereas I got healthier and I was more regulated and I was happier. I also started getting more work. Um, He got worse. (laughs) He got... Um, he just never wanted to be there. He was gone a lot. And there were times when he would come home from a quote late night at work and he would smell like alcohol. And at this time, I was trying to just create enough stability and safety so that as we started therapy, about a month after I got back, we would have a chance to work on things. I was trying to avoid arguments over things that I knew a therapist would be more qualified to help. So we start couples therapy, which who cheats on someone and continues to build a relationship with a new person and like he was paying for the couple's therapy that's what doesn't make sense to me so like september and october of 2018 we're in therapy together things just aren't adding up still i'm like okay so we're saying we're going into therapy to repair our relationship that we want to make it work and yet this therapist now that she's had a private session with you she's saying things in our couple's session that seem like she's trying to help you break up with me so like what the fuck's going on so we fired one therapist because i thought it was her not him turns out what probably happened was he was honest with her about the cheating and wanting to break up and just was too chicken shit to actually tell me he's spending lots and lots of nights out of town especially nights after therapy he'd be like oh yeah by the way i forgot to tell you um i'm supposed to go to philly for work tonight and be there tomorrow morning i'm like okay like whatever i also find out um because of the internet and a new Instagram account I started that he and his ex are reconnected on Instagram, even though he told me he'd blocked her and she's back in his life. And this becomes another fight and we bring that to therapy. And it, it just, yeah, it was a mess. Um, the second couples therapist was actually really lovely. I don't think she knew the extent of what was going on. Um, similar position to me. And I remember her saying something like, do you think maybe this, this, and this could be going on with his mental health? And, also a couple people from AA who I was 
you know, telling about what I was going through in my relationship, they're like, it kind of sounds like his drinking is problematic. I'm like, I know. And also they teach you in those rooms, you can't really tell anybody else if they have a problem. Like people need to come to that conclusion on their own. It's not for me to decide. So anyway, I'm just, I'm clearer. So I'm seeing things more clearly. And I'm also starting to respect myself a lot more and take way better care of myself and having a lot less tolerance for being treated poorly. I'm standing up for myself when he's an asshole to me. And I think that's part of why he just stopped being home. He didn't even want to fight with me anymore because he has essentially a new girlfriend. Um, But for whatever reason, so badly doesn't want to be seen as the bad guy that he won't just tell me what's happening. I tried to break up with him multiple times too, and he would talk me out of it. I would pack a bag to leave and be like, I'm going to just go stay with my friend in DC for a while. I don't think this is working. He would just talk me off the ledge a lot. And I don't understand. Um, I, I don't understand what he got out of that besides feeling like, oh, well, I look like the good guy. You know, Lauren's not going to be able to say anything bad about me. What I also now know was going on in these couple months was um, because I I kind of, you know, pulled back from speaking to his family or our shared friends because we just need to focus on us. I don't want to I don't want to have to explain what's going on with us to anybody who's picking it up. And, you know, you can tell people whatever you want, but like I'm just here to see if this can work. I, I would like to make it work. And at some point, his parents came into town and he made me lie and say I was out of town. I don't know the whole story that he told them, but he's like, yeah, don't reach out to them. It's really stressing me out. Again, what I now am pretty sure happened was he was introducing them to this new woman. I don't know how he explained that some of my stuff was still in the apartment, but it was just such a shit show. And then, yeah, November rolls around. I have a job. I'm pretty busy. I'm not home a lot. He's being weirdly very nice. His brother's wedding was coming up and we had been going back and forth on whether I was going to go. And I had decided maybe a month before that, like, you know, things are pretty fragile with us. This whole thing was already kind of stressful because of a lot of dynamics in his family. And um, I'm just going to stay home. I'm busy anyway. And he was like, oh, are you sure? Oh, I really appreciate you doing what's right for us, even though it's hard for you. And, you know, don't worry about talking to my brother and his fiance. Like, I'll let them know what's going on. And I was like, okay, sure. Setting him up to be able to tell whatever version of the story he wanted to tell them, which I, again, now know based on some conversations I've since had with some of these folks and the way they responded to me is that, yeah, Lauren's crazy. I'm breaking up with her. This new person's in my life and she just won't leave me alone. And now it's it's really tough to I, I've shared before, it's really painful to be misunderstood. It's really hard for me to look back and think about some of the things I said unknowingly to some of these folks in our lives that probably played into exactly what he was saying. He was just very manipulative of everybody. Meanwhile, we also hadn't even addressed the sexual assault and therapy. <laughs> I was like building up to that. One other thing that stuck out from sessions, and then I'll start to wrap this up because this is getting long, but one other thing that happened during sessions was um i i mentioned like hey since i've been back from indiana we haven't really had sex which just seems weird i, I kind of thought now that we're getting help i feel very connected to you so like what's going on and he fucking weaponized the fact that i have sexual trauma and he was like well you get triggered sometimes and it's just hard which by the way rarely happened by that point um and i'm sitting there like 
what? Like that doesn't even add up. The last, it was, it had been months, maybe even a year since that had last happened. And it was the shittiest thing to use against me as a weapon. And looking back, it's infuriating. <laughs> oh my God. But, you know, eventually we were sleeping together again toward the end of the relationship because I think this woman had been out of town at different times. And I don't know. It It's, again, I don't know what all she knew. They're married now, clearly. If she did know something, she's over it. But I don't think she realizes I was actively living with him. We were going to therapy, that we were having sex. Even if I were shitty enough to date and then eventually marry somebody who had been in a relationship while our relationship was starting, it would have really bothered me to find out later that they were still having sex if I had been told they weren't. But everyone's different, but that that just... Yeah, he was shitty to her, just in, in a similar way to me. Obviously, it's different. So he goes out of town for his brother's wedding. That The wedding happened to be on November 10th. That night, I went to go babysit for... It was a friend of his whose older brother and his wife. They really trusted me with their baby and were so lovely. And that was some of the extra money I was bringing in. And they were always really kind to me and very supportive. And um, the woman was someone I had told some of what was going on and she would ask me how are things going and I'd be like yeah you know we're getting help and I'm doing my best and I got this job and things are getting better but he's still really anxious and like having trouble sleeping I don't know why and she would just kind of politely be like mm-hmm, wow okay and so that night I go to babysit he had not really been responding to my texts for a couple days but I just assumed he was busy with wedding stuff I now know that this woman I'm pretty sure was with him there and you know, as far as everyone knew, we were broken up, so he probably blocked my number for a couple days. But I arrive at babysitting, and she sits me down and is like, so how are things? And just very gently and with so much care and kindness was like, do you think maybe he's seeing somebody? And I was like, what do you mean? I was so just like, no, there's no way. Like cheating, anytime it came up with us, he's like, yeah, Lauren, like I made out with someone who wasn't my girlfriend when I was a junior or maybe senior in high school. And it was just the worst feeling. I would never do that to someone again. It it just always became this like, Lauren, like I would never do that. And if you're feeling that way, it's because you're insecure. That was the message I kept getting. So I was like, yeah, I guess I'm just insecure anytime I have these suspicions. And so I kind of talk around it. I'm like, no, I think he has this, this, and this going on. And, you know, things have been hard, blah, blah, blah. I think he has untreated anxiety and whatever. And thankfully, I had the presence of mind to be like, is there a reason you're asking that? And she was like, yes, I didn't want to tell you until I had firsthand knowledge of it because it was just rumors. But somebody I trust was out and he brought this woman out to a bar and I'm told she was under the impression that they're dating and that they're together. I try to call him. Of course, my call doesn't go through because I'm blocked because <laughs> he probably didn't want this woman seeing my name on his phone. And so I send a text that's just like, I know you're cheating on me. This is over. Because for me, it, it's sad that it took things getting that bad for me to be like, I'm calling it. Whatever the consequences are financially, with my life getting uprooted, all of that, like, this is not fucking worth it. I don't love this person enough to go with it. And it wasn't even the cheating, because I do think there are very decent people who make mistakes in relationships and cheat. But it was the gaslighting that I realized he had put me through. All those times, first of all, that I had given him 
opportunities to let me break up with him and let me be the bad guy that he would talk me out of. Because I think in some ways he liked the cachet of dating this like really progressive woman who, you know, worked in politics and he just liked that I made him seem smart. And I knew immediately who the person was that he was cheating with because there were enough weird things like her FaceTiming him at one in the morning one time when we were talking and he was like, yeah, I don't know why she did that. I'm like, oh, okay, that's weird. Can you just make sure you have good boundaries with her? Because that's kind of strange that a coworker is FaceTiming you at 1 a.m. on a Friday night. Just all these things started adding up and I'm like, oh, oh, he hasn't just lied a little bit. He's lied a lot and let me feel like I was losing my mind and that I was the problem in our relationship and I need to deal with my trauma and oh also I have sexual trauma so that means having sex with me is hard. The house of cards just came tumbling down and I thought I don't actually know who I've been with and legitimately so that was November 10th over November 11th and 12th he was supposed to come home on the 11th. I was legitimately afraid because what I did have enough experience with and knowledge of was that once somebody who's operating that way, once their mask is off, once they're exposed, some of them can do some pretty fucked up stuff. Some of them can become violent. Some of them can just do asshole things. I didn't know if he was going to do something as mild as kicking me out of the apartment before I had a place to stay or something as severe as physically hurting me. He had already sexually assaulted me and had put me through like emotional torture for however many years, months, whatever. I didn't know what he was capable of. And so I mostly just felt infuriated and relieved because I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not misinterpreting things. I'm not, I mean, the thought I had at the time was I'm not crazy. Again, I know that's an ableist word, but that was the literal thought I had was, oh, I'm not crazy. I was right. I was right. So I spent the evening calling a couple friends. I figured out some housing in Indiana to come back to in a couple weeks. I, I, I just got into action mode and there was some station like crying. I was so hurt and so disappointed and so confused. I mean, my head for many years and I, I even sometimes still, maybe even in this podcast recording, you're hearing me trying to make sense of it, but at the end of the day, the only logical explanation is that there is no logical explanation, that his behavior actually didn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with him being a pretty insecure, I think unhappy, narcissistic, selfish, wounded person that as someone with my own codependency stuff, I, I'm still healing from my trauma stuff with everything I went through from childhood up through early adulthood, I was perfectly primed for somebody like that to prey on me, to take energy from me, to extract power and influence and anything else I had going for me from me. I don't think it's an accident that I went from being financially independent, not wealthy, but doing pretty well, having a pretty solid job despite everything that was wrong with it, in the campaign four years earlier, I was stepping into my power and then this person comes into my life and four years later, I am, I mean, thankfully sober, but things have gotten pretty dark with my substance use. I'd never had suicidal thoughts until this person was in my life. I'm not saying they wouldn't have happened anyway, maybe because of the job or bosses or whatever, but I, I 
never would have, I don't think, introduced some of these stimulant substances into my life. There were just a lot of lines that were crossed in terms of how bad things got for me that I'm not saying were all his fault, but I don't know that they were completely independent of that relationship. I'm at a point where I know going through that has made me it's given me an understanding of how dynamics work in abusive relationships. I will never again judge or shame anybody for staying because abuse functions a lot like an addictive cycle where it's really bad, then these highs of it really good after the worst parts, and then it goes back to really bad, and then you're just chasing that really good again. There's also a lot of financial and systemic circumstances that made it difficult for me to see things clearly because my well-being, my survival, my housing, my groceries, all of that was on the line. And thankfully, I was able to set my pride aside and ask people I did not feel comfortable asking at the time for support. My family was not an option for a lot of reasons that still don't make sense and that my mom has made amends for. But, um, you know, I didn't have an exit strategy until I absolutely had to. And so it took me about a week Thankfully, my job, my part-time kind of gig ongoing contract extended. They go, no, you can work remotely. I got through this event. It was so sad that the cheating thing all came up like three days before this big event. I'd been working on this comedy show for a, ironically, a sexual violence organization that helps survivors. And like Jim Gaffigan came and did a surprise set. Like it should have been such a great, awesome night. And I remember taking breaks and going into the bathroom in my little blazer and just crying at different intervals and then going back out and putting on a brave face. And like, it was just weird. And that actually that night after the comedy show event, my coworkers had got me flowers. They like recognized me on stage for organizing it on like a six week turnaround. I mean, I really killed it at work for the first time in a while and it felt really good. And I had these wonderful new coworkers too. And I'm finally, you know, through AA and other communities, I'm finally feeling like, okay, I love New York. It was really hard the first year and a half. It's a great city, but it was tough to live there. Now I'm finally kind of figuring it out. And then this happens. And that same night after the event, I went home and that was the night he and I agreed he could come over and we would talk he still lied. It was really sad, actually. He threw this woman he's now married to under the bus and was like, yeah, she's a terrible person. And she kept trying to get me to break up with you, but I wouldn't. I mean, he just made her sound like this terrible, terrible person. And it's really sad that now she's married to someone who's not only my rapist, but also was so quick to villainize her in this whole situation. And what I've learned, too, from I mean, different things I've read and listened to about narcissism, but also just working through this with enough professionals is that without extreme consequences in his life, he's not going to change. I remember him trying to convince me he was getting sober after we broke up, and I'm like, okay, whatever. I went no contact pretty quickly once I got out of the apartment, Um, and he tried reaching out a few times, left this like crying voicemail apologizing and you know, oh, just let me know you're okay. And I'm like, I am not, I'm no longer going to be your narcissistic supply. (laughs) You are not extracting anything else from me. I see clearly now who you are. You are actually the worst of you. And now this woman, sadly, is married to that person. And maybe she hasn't seen the bad sides yet. And I hope, you know, if you're out there and you're listening to this someday, I'm not going to use your name, but I hope you know that just as I said in my message to you the night I found out, 
I meant what I said. Like, he's not who I thought he was. And you probably don't know everything. And if you want to reach out and talk about it, I'm here. Because it's very painful to learn the truth about someone you think you love that deeply and who you really care about. The consequences in life can be really challenging when your relationship is also impacting your housing and your finances and all of that. Like, I'm still recovering financially in a lot of ways from what happened. People don't talk about the financial toll, the economic impact of sexual assault and domestic violence and all of these other things that I've personally been through. And that impact is on survivors. It's very rarely on the perpetrators. So I'm looking at how long I've been talking. Um, It feels like it went quickly. I hope that anything I shared was helpful and a reminder to you that just because you can put up with a situation or part of you really just wants to give this person a chance to be the best version of themselves or you really believe in healing and the possibilities of change that is all those are all beautiful personality traits and you deserve the same love and care and support that you wish for the other person you deserve for the majority of your days to be easy and beautiful when i say that i believe in liberation for all of us that includes me that includes you I don't know if you can hear my dog sighing next to me, but I think think she's on the same page. I should have mentioned this at the top of the episode, but I have a free resource if you struggle with self-trust. Obviously, I have learned the hard way (laughs) to trust myself. It's called the Anti-Capitalist Self-Trust Kickstart. It is a little podcast mini-series, and it comes with journaling prompts. And so you sign up, it's free, you get one email a day for four days, and yeah, it's a five to six minute podcast plus those questions, and it just kind of walks you through why it's so hard to trust yourself, depersonalizing why we struggle with it. It's not you, it's the system kind of stuff. Gives some tools to actually start developing it. I talk about fear versus intuition, because I know a lot of folks, it's easy to get hung up on is this voice in my head coming from my anxiety is this the truth so definitely check that out i'll put that in the show notes as always if you would like to talk about other ways i can support in either my community coaching program take up space where we do a deep deep dive on all things self-trust and boundaries and more inner work and relational work and collective work for community change making in a sustainable way always happy to chat. And of course, I also have one-on-one coaching available. If you are ready to really be getting into action and building your platform and stepping forward in a way that perhaps feels a little new. (sighs) I feel some relief to have this out there. There's part of me that's nervous about how it might land for folks. There's part of me that's like, oh my God, what if any of the people involved in this hear it? And also... All I can do is tell the truth about what I experienced. I hope that this has helped at least one person listening to this to feel less alone and less confused and to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. I'm in a very happy, healthy marriage now. We have things that we work through and a lot of the tools that I gained from this other relationship that was so tough when applied in a healthy relationship, actually work. Go figure. (laughs) So while I wish I hadn't had to go through that with my ex to learn this 
to really finally learn this lesson of anytime I find myself explaining to someone why I deserve to be treated like a human, like a person with feelings, um, I, I got to get out. That was how I was able to know it was time to end that friendship that I described in the last episode. So it was a hard-earned lesson and also one that I would never give back. So I hope that you take extra good care of yourself this weekend. And please just reach out if you need some tips, some support, or again, have any questions about ways that I can show up for you more formally with my offerings. Take good care.